He is a 40-year political veteran. Not a whole lot taking him by surprise here. He knows the game. And reasonable people, reasonable people can draw vastly different conclusions. You cannot say it's reasonable to have boys compete in girls sports. It is not a reasonable position to say that boys can become girls. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to The Narrative, a special emergency edition of the podcast. Mike Andrews, Aaron Baird, David Mahan joining you. And we couldn't even get through the first week of 2024 (laughs) before we had to to get together to, to talk with our friends out there. Uh, who follow the podcast because some pretty major news broke uh, Friday right before the new year, and that is um, House Bill 68, which was Save Women's Sports or is Save Women's Sports and the SAFE Act, was vetoed by Governor DeWine after, uh, David, you spent a lot of time working on this over the past several years. And we just wanted to talk about the veto, talk about the process, talk about where the bill is with the way Ohio legislature works and all of those things. There's a lot to unpack. And we thought it was easier just to have the conversation together. And hopefully it's another one of those valuable resources for our friends out there. Yeah. And and I think the important thing is you you put on it is David's fault. It got vetoed. So he he, he was (laughs) as Paul. Policy director. He's the one who's supposed to make sure these things don't happen. The buck stops here, family. I just, I just want to make sure I'm clear on something, though. When it's successful, it's yours, that, that, that right? I did it, right? Exactly. when it fails, really? it's David's I'm good with fault. That. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think our listeners are smart enough to understand what's going on here. <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. You know, this has definitely been a David and Goliath thing from yeah. the beginning, I believe, just to kind of, you know, not to hide the, to bury the lead. I believe it's going to have the same effect that the, the giant will fall yeah. um, here this month at some point. Um, it, it has been amazing to watch. A lot of questions regarding the veto, a lot of questions regarding just, you know, how the the, the, the sausage is made. But um, I, I just first off want to say, you know, the, the members have been doing a pretty good job here, you know, standing for truth, standing for children and family. Uh, and, and hopefully next week, standing against the governor on a very poor decision um, that was made to, to veto um, House Bill 68. But uh, but really, I mean, in, in terms of the bill itself, that is really the only negative uh, I've seen. I've been very encouraged by how this is flowing so far. Uh, everybody's supporting it from the Senate to the House to the GOP chair to Trump to DeSantis. I yeah. mean, this has got national. What is the last bill you saw in Ohio that got this much support nationally? This is yeah. crazy. Well, and, and I think, David, in all honesty, there's a, a few things here on this that can't be missed, which is, you know, and we're, I know we're going to go kind of tell the history of of this bill and how we got here because it's important to understand all of that to understand where we go. But three years ago when we introduced this bill, nobody wanted to touch this thing. This, this bill was, was seen as so far out there. And, And this is, you know, honestly, we talked about this as a team. It's one of the things that I'm proud of the CCV team for it. And Dave and your efforts and everyone that's been a part of it is this is when we talk about moving the Overton window or kind of changing culture, right? And and the definition of culture we always use, it's the assumptions that you make about the world around you, right? And and culture, we have broad American culture, but then, you know, individual institutions or areas or communities can have cultures, right? And the culture of the statehouse was such that this bill originally was seen as too controversial, can't touch it, all of that. And just through the conversations that the CCB team and the bill sponsor, Gary Click, and the other bill sponsor, Jenna Powell and Reggie Stoltzfus, 
and Senator Rogner had been having with members and all of the families that came down That's and right. medical experts that came down and all it it literally changed the culture the assumptions are at the state house which was this went from a we can't touch this to a how can we not do this right right i mean that was the most my 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 favorite thing about seeing the 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 response since then as you mentioned all these people president trump and ron DeSantis and megan kelly and and i mean all just folks that you wouldn't typically see say wait he vetoed this right hey, this is the most common sense thing to do um and th- that is culture change right that is that that is the the effort and and the fact that we are in such a strong position now to do the veto override um is is because of all of that and so that that's been you know again Life would be a whole lot easier if you would have just signed the bill, uh, but um, but at the same time, it's it's why we feel in a strong position. Nothing's guaranteed, but it's why we feel like we're in a strong position. Well, let's do the uh, the record scratch moment where we say, okay, this is where we are. Yeah. We've established where we are. Let's go back and kind of trace how we got to this point. And and really, this bill goes back even further than than the three years before it was introduced in its current form. Uh, it kind of has its roots, what, in like 2018 or something yeah, like that? Yeah, for sure. And in many ways, even before then, and, and we won't go all, all the way back to, you know, let's, let's talk about Friedrich Nietzsche. No, uh, <laughs> like, I mean... Honestly, to some extent, this goes back to some of the first conversations David Mahan and I had before he was, you know, before we brought him over to the dark side to become a lobbyist, was what he was seeing in schools, right? Like, and a lot of this popped up right after the Obergefell decision in 2015, where, you know, the LGB movement all of a sudden added this T onto it, and uh, the T became the the main driver, right, Uh, of of the, the, the agenda, and, you know, you started seeing gender unicorns and stuff like yeah, that. Rapid onset gender dysphoria it used to be gender dysphoria. You know, it was a thing, but it was primarily with with males. Right. You know, and then, you know, 90 percent females just out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. And um, you started seeing the social contagion piece of this. And that's what I was seeing before, you know, I came here. Um, but then parents started becoming vocal with the mama bear movement. Yep. Right. And so, you know, you can't leave them out of the whole equation that, that we are where we are because of people like yourself who have stood up, mama and papa bears across the states who have said enough is enough. We cannot continue to ignore what's going on all across the country as well as the nation, right? All of the nations that founded this stuff, pioneered this stuff, Scandinavian countries, right, who are pulling back and reversing course. Um, why do we not even know that we have six clinics in our own state? Yeah, and, and and that's the you know that was sort of the 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 silent bubbling up that was happening all over the country in Ohio, and where it the first sort of eruption happened, really for CCV, but this was a national story at the time, um, was the Cincinnati Children's Hospital case, where uh, a, a child, seventeen year old girl. Uh, was taken from parents' custody because uh, the parents, a, a Catholic family down in, in Cincinnati, uh, declined, refused to let the the clinic put their child, uh, their little girl, on uh, high dose testosterone, uh, and because they said no, the clinic went to Hamilton County Job and Family Services, and the the, the county filed neglect and abuse charges against the parents. Uh, for for declining this the sterilization really, um, and again it wasn't they didn't do it because merely because of their Catholic faith obviously their Catholic faith informed them but they did it because they said this is bad medicine right you can't change my kids gender their sex right 
Hey, so let's get counseling, and you'll be 18 in here in a few months. Yeah, exactly. You do what you want in, in a couple months, if, you know, and that, that wasn't enough for the courts. And, that, and that's where in that court decision, for as bad as it was, it also gave us, it, it was sort of a, a jaw dropper because, again, for a lot of families out there, myself included, these children's hospitals have been a blessing. We've always, you know, children's hospitals are kind of one of those things that, like, I, who can be upset at children's hospitals, right? They, they do all this good stuff. Um, and it was it was sort of the eye opener when we saw in the court filing, uh, and the judge actually criticized Cincinnati Children's Hospital over this that there were sixteen hundred kids in just this one children's hospital gender clinic, and the judge actually criticized and called into question the clinic's practices when they said it's astonishing to us that uh, or astonishing to me it was a single judge astonishing to me that you have sixteen hundred kids in here. And you testified to the fact that you all you found that 100% of the kids that came into your clinic uh, were candidates for ongoing treatment and therapy yeah. uh, in, in, uh, in this gender, which means sort of ongoing hormones and things like that, which, again, anybody will any doctor will tell you, you know, yeah. nobody has that type of record, right? Like the, the you know, you go to a cancer hospital <laughs> and I can say, well, you've got cancer and this is what you do, right? Yeah, that's it, national news. Yeah. If that were the case. And so that was, you know, that was where we held a, a press conference outside of Hamilton County Courthouse and, and really highlighted this and um, was ultimately led to our, the first bill we introduced on this topic, um, which, again, this was – there's a little bit like this when I think back to it that's kind of like COVID, right, <laughs> where when it first hits, it's so jarring and it's it, 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 it sort of sh- shakes up your understanding of reality around you that you're kind of grasping for – you know, what, what's the thing we should do here? Um, and so we introduced the Vulnerable Child Protection Act, which was more of a basically just a parent's rights bill, right? And, and all it said was you can't take a child from parent's custody uh, simply because they declined uh, this, these procedures, gender right? We, uh, the, you know, the, the gender affirming, whatever. Um, again, which is so hard. And, and, to our listeners, want to ask for your uh, your grace on this because there's almost no because they invented these procedures. There's almost no way of talking about this without using their words. But the words they use to to define it are so politically laden, right? So sometimes you might hear us say gender affirming therapy or things, sex and, change, sex change, all of that. Like mm-hmm. we know those those, those are all lying and yeah. political statements, but you sometimes I'll just say transgender medicine, right? Again, and, and it's not medicine, it's sterilization and mutilation, but we, we got to use words to be able to move the conversation forward. So th- there's my little caveat. Um, so yeah, we, we, we saw that and introduced that bill and that bill went literally nowhere. <laughs> no, nobody wanted to. And they hired it. me. And, exactly. Uh, and now we find ourselves at the precipice exactly. of a victory. Well, it was that. And then, and then uh, actually, and so that's kind of true. Uh, but it was also, we introduced that, but then it was Arkansas that introduced yep. the first SAFE Act, you know, Saving Adolescents from Experimentation um, Act. And they actually passed it. Right. And which, which is an outright ban on, again, the, the, the three aspects of this that, that are the most egregious uh, surgeries, hormones puberty and puberty blockers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so once once that passed in Arkansas uh, and you started seeing other states pick it up, that's when we decided, OK, th- th- this is, you know, listen, by all means, we, we want to 
ensure parents can't have their kids taken away, which is a part of our bill, part of 68. But you know what? This actually needs to be banned. It was like a trickle. And then in 2022, just several states to where now we're at 22 states. 22, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I I think it's worth highlighting there too, Aaron, as as you unpack sort of the history of this, that this isn't about targeting transgender individuals it's the the ideology that's, that's behind right. it and and that the science hasn't caught up with with the alleged medicine and we're seeing i know you pointed out several times in in uh, testimonies and just in talking about it with with legislators david that you know, you look at those european countries that have been doing this for 3 decades seeing no benefit and scaling back and and we're here in ohio trying to say Look, if they're pumping the brakes after three decades, we need to make sure this train doesn't get any farther out of the the station. All the best whistleblowers are coming from either nations that have been very affirming uh, of this kind of thing over the years, 20, 30 years, or actual people from the LGBT community um, who are saying this has to stop. We've had several come in and testify, adults who are, are, you know, literally um, trans-identified adults are saying this is not good for kids. There's no way parents could, you know, to consent to this or way a child could assent to it. Um, They just could not know. And so they're talking about the exploitation that's been taking place in children's hospital, not pop-up clinics. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Well, no, and and I think that's one of the big things here, going back to the children's hospitals aspect of this. And this is, again, there's a, there's a COVID analogy here. There's a, uh, you know, FBI analogy here. There's, there's a lot of different, uh, actually JD Vance today had a, a good, uh, post on this that there's a sh- been a, a major shift in America that I think for a lot of folks we're still catching up to it right and this was sort of our experience at CCV on this which was the the experts and the people that we have been taught that we can trust are in a lot of places no longer trustworthy that's right mm-hmm. right and that I mean that honestly I think that's a Sadly. part of of where the governor's veto came from. I think that was why it took three years, right, and and two general assemblies for us to get to a point, really five years, where the culture changed enough at the state house for folks to get this. Because I, I don't want to underestimate um, or understate, I should say, the the gravity of the request we were bringing to lawmakers, which was, hey, you actually should not trust these people, right, and and rightfully so, we had a a, a high burden. Uh, a high standard we had to overcome to convince people that, yeah, you should not trust these people anymore, right? Um, and and that's the, you know, you know that, that that that's the thing that we have really seen through this of, you know, reaching to lawmakers and helping them see it's a different age, and and maybe you can still trust them. You know, don't get me wrong, like the 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 next time that. Um, you know, if, if my kid breaks their leg, like my, my kid broke their leg before when we went to children's hospital, I'm, I'm going to take them back there to, to get their leg, you know, all, all yeah. bandaged up. And, 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 but you better believe I'm going to be in the room and listening to every little thing they say to my kid and looking at every little box they're asking me to check because, you know, this ideology has, has swept through so many things. To talk about ideology in the whole process. I mean, shout out to, to Rhett Powell. Um, and her Save Women's Sports bill, because I think in terms of messaging, that was the easier, you know, thing to for the public to grasp, yeah. right? That 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 girls' fairness and, and privacy rights and safety rights, 
um, we're, we're subjected to this foolishness, this ideology, and people could see right through that. And so that kind of helped them understand or, or kind of start getting a good grasp of gender ideology and where we are as a country. And, um, and then they could, they could then pick up the whole SAFE Act. And, and for those of you that don't know, um, these were two separate bills, yep. right? House Bill 68 was SAFE Act. House Bill 6 was, was Save Women's Sports. And then um, right before it was passed out of the House, they got combined as a package going into the Senate. Um, and so while they are two different bills, they are dealing with the same ideology. Um, and it was just kind of easier for the people to grasp the safe women's sports side. And, and thank you so much, Riley Gaines and oh, others, yeah. uh, for being champions in terms of the messaging here in, in the final stretch. And, and I mean, that's been the, the, the biggest thing through all of this, which is when you see that picture of William Thomas standing next to Riley Gaines yeah. on the podium, it, it really, and th this will be something that we'll talk about when we talk about the governor's uh, veto message, you know, it's we, we thinking about being in a new world that we're in. The governor said one really revealing thing in that press conference that that shows where his mentality is, that that shows he doesn't understand the times. Right. When he said there's reasonable people on both sides of this issue. I think it's very important that we all remember that all those on each side of this issue sincerely and truly believe their position best protects children. These are truly complex issues, and reasonable people, reasonable people can draw vastly different conclusions. It is not a reasonable position to say that boys can become girls, right? No matter how deeply they feel it, no matter how much they say they are, or how much makeup they put on, which again, it's just the most offensive aspect of this that what makes you a woman is putting on a whole bunch of makeup, right? Like that, that it's just crazy. Scalpels but, and pills. Yeah. Can that turn a little girl into a little boy. It, that is not a reasonable position. Right. Um, and, and that is, that's what their view is. Right. And, and that's, so having, having the bills get combined at the time, we actually weren't thrilled about that, but it worked out to be, a very important part of this because it really helped us drive home the the irrationality of what the the ideology is undergirding both of these issues. Yeah, we had to navigate one committee instead of two, so I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, seriously, right? That, that, In that, the Senate, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to your point about this being unreasonable, Aaron, this is also, I think, where the, the Christian perspective comes in because we have to walk that line of you know, being Christ-like, but, you know, it's truth and love, right? Like it's not one or the other. And, yeah. and I think we, we could tend to veer into one ditch or the other, like both are equal and opposite errors, but to walk that line of, you know, taking the hard approach here and saying, no, because this is an unreasonable and un just impossibility, right. quite frankly. It's impossible. Uh, we have to say the true thing, and we have to do it as lovingly as possible, but it comes across as harsh in, right. in our current cultural moment. Oh, yeah. And I think yeah. that's where you have to look at the media being complicit, Yeah, right? I know we want to blame everybody, but this is in one area where the harm of all of this was only being talked about from one side, right? Like, if you do not affirm you know, do you want to do you want to plan a funeral? Or do you want to plan a gender transition? Right. And so that's what they amplified in the media. 
Um, all of that was false. Kids that struggle with anorexia, kids that struggle with you know several depression, autism, um, have the same basic rates of suicide as kids who struggle with gender dysphoria. Um, one is not more than the other. The, the, the problem is when, when parents came in and started talking about the other types of harm, you know, where after transition, we find best data shows us that suicide rates, completed suicides go up 19 times. How is that not in the media? How is that not part of the, 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 the conversation? When you have very um, left-leaning nations, right, like, like Scandinavia, Finland, Norway, reversing course after how is that not a part of the conversation so when so when people in in ohio are only hearing one side when parents are showing up to a clinic and they're only given one course of action affirmation how are you not complicit as a journalist right when when your governor's using all gender affirming terminology after 10 days of talking to folks quote on both sides um how do you not how, do you, how are you not complicit? And that's where, you know, from my perspective on this, Mike, and I, I'm, I'm not going to act like this is the, the gospel way of, of handling this, but I think there's a, a lot of gentleness that needs to be provided to people who are dealing with gender dysphoria, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, I would never say uh, it's appropriate to use preferred pronouns or any of those types of things. I, I think that 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 is not a loving thing to do. But I think there's a, a degree of gentleness that needs to be uh, provided there. But for, for the media and for the politicians and the, hospitals. And, and the hospitals and the activists that are pushing this, this is where condemnation, I think, is, is justified, right? This is where that righteous anger of standing up for the vulnerable, I think it, that, that's, that's where we need. Now, again, there are certain lines that we we should not cross, right? Um, and, and again, I think a lot of folks would know what those are, mm -hmm. right? Um, and and ways that even in our, our condemnation and criticism, uh, we, we we never get, you know, relieved of our obligation and duty to the fruits of the Spirit, right? Um, but it is not helping these people to, you know, take it easy on the governor when even if, you know, only the Lord can judge his heart, but even in, in in his own heart, if he is convinced that he did this for the right reason, his actions are going to hurt people, and he needs he deserves the criticism over that. You have to be in the room when, okay, so you have two kids, right? You've got a 12-year-old kid who's crying and says, I'm a little boy. She's a girl, and she says, I feel like I'm a little boy. Your heart breaks for that child, right? That child needs help. Um, the news should want to cover that story, Right. But when you have the week before a child who says, I cut my breasts off at 15 because I thought, right, just like that little girl, I thought I was a boy, had my breasts cut off. Um, as soon as I did it, I realized I'll never be able to breastfeed my kids. This is Chloe Cole's testimony. Both of them are in the same room with the media. One kid gets their story told who has not physically harmed themselves yet. A kid who has physically harmed themselves never gets on the news. Mike, I'm telling you, I swear, I stand in the room. The media runs in after the testimonies are over. Um, they interview these girls who have detransitioned, right, if, if that was such a thing. They went through these procedures. Now they're harmed. Things are seeping. Things are cut off, right? They're sterile. 
they're getting interviewed by the media and they never, ever make the news. How many detransition stories, family, have you all seen outside of CCVs, mm -hmm. postings or, you know, things on, on national news, but Ohio will not report it? They are complicit in hiding a harm being done by the hospitals in the state of Ohio. And yeah. worth a quick plug here to, to mention that we did have a podcast with Chloe Cole and Prisha yep. Mosley yeah. that talks about some of this. Also interviewed Scott Nugent, um, some good information there yep. as well. So go back into the archives yep. and check out those two podcasts for a little more context around this conversation. We'll make sure we drop a link in the show notes so that you can find those a little more easily. I do want to pivot to kind of the immediate lead up to the veto because it was a wild couple of weeks oh, yeah. that, that we were going through and David was over at the state house till like four in the morning one day or something <laughs> insane like that, just with committee hearings and all of those things. It was a minor miracle that, that the bill was to the governor's desk before the end of the year. And I think some of that story is certainly worth telling. Absolutely. I mean, in, in the Senate alone that day, there was two votes that took place. It had to get out of committee, right? They had to adopt amendments. They had to get out of committee. Then it had to pass the floor. And meanwhile, Children's Hospital is doing their thing. The governor's yeah. office is doing his thing. It was an absolute miracle um, that that happened. And I got I was so proud of the members, uh, so many of them, but especially uh, Senator Rogner for standing strong, not just for kids that, that don't struggle with their gender, but for kids that do struggle with their gender. Proud of Gary Click. Right. Who was who took the brunt of a lot of those phone calls from the Children's Hospital, who in the, the you know, the the fourth quarter. Now they want to start talking. Right. Right. I know he was banging down the door of the governor. I know he was banging down the door of Children's Hospital. I stood in the rooms where he asked the questions to the Children's House and they just would not answer him. Oh, I mean, I, I think back to I think this is right before you started with us, David, three years ago when we first introduced this bill. This was under Speaker Cup. Gary and I, uh, and uh, we had Matt Sharp on the phone from ADF. We met with the children. We, we had, they had what was called an interested party meeting, oh my right? God, that was a joke. Uh, where they bring everyone in. And literally, we sat there for two hours going round and round and round. And like at every point, you know, and they, what the, what the, the playbook of a, a place like the Children's Hospitals, what they do is they just try to delay. Well, let, you know, we, well, we'll let's, before we you. have hearings, let me get, let's get back to you all. Let's get back to you. And we said, we're, show us the data. They're saying, well, this isn't actually that big. Well, show us the data because we're hearing stories that it is. Well, and by the way, if it's not that big, then what, what's the big deal if we ban it? Why, why would you care, right? And literally, I cannot begin to tell you the amount of lies. And that, that was a really eye-opening thing yeah. sitting across from the, the, the Children's Hospital's lobbyists and watching them just lie like and, and <laughs> like in a in a in such a talented way that it was it was almost impressive right but it was yeah, i put in an application I'm yeah. like, i, I want to be a part of that crew yeah, that, but but shout out to stewart right yeah. in the house representative stewart yeah, yeah when when the hearings were in the house uh rep stewart and and literally rep uh lips did not chairman lips did not put up with it yeah they said wait a minute are you doing referrals yeah for these surgeries in the state of Ohio that you just said aren't happening? Are you doing referrals for them? And they said, no, no, no. And finally, they held their feet to the fire and they admitted, yes, uh, we do and have done referrals for these things. For surgeries. For surgeries. And yes. Chairman Lips actually said, you know, you sound like Clinton, you know, with, you know, what's the definition of referral? I mean, it was yeah. it was phenomenal. Uh, shout out in the Senate to uh, Brenner, yep. who I, I got home at 12 midnight. That, that night. And out of a hearing, yeah. Yeah, after the hearing. And he waited until the last uh, uh, opponent 
testimony and basically said, I have sat here all night and I've not heard one, one study that says that what you are doing to children is number one, effective, and two, not harming. Can you give me one? And he said it again on the floor, uh, uh, you know, when it was on the floor of the Senate. So, you know, without strong and courageous members like this, and, and y'all know I can be very critical uh, of, of who works over there at the State House, but this was a proud moment yeah. uh, for these folks because I knew what they were up against. So, so just that day, uh, Mike, you mentioned on the, I think it was the 13th last month, um, where, you know, basically, you know, we need, in order to get the bill, it was the last day of session before uh, before they broke for the holidays. Um, and, you know, the the bill was sitting in a Senate committee and in order for, because they were going to amend it, um, they, it was going to have to have three votes before it could get to the governor. So it right. needed to get voted out of committee. It needed to get voted out of the Senate, and then it had to get a con- what's called a concurrence vote from the House. Basically, if the, the, the House has to say, we agree to your changes, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I remember actually that morning I was having um, breakfast with a friend, uh, and I was telling him about all this, and I said, I think, I think we're going to do this. Like it, the, Getting one vote in a day is a big deal. Getting three votes in a day is almost impossible. When a lot of folks on our side were not even there. Right, in exactly, the house. exactly. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, but this is, this is the, what it takes to get things, get things through. Cause we, again, we had just been talking to members all the time, uh, gearing them up for this, really saying, Hey, this, this is coming your way, coming your way, talking back over to the house. You know, we were in the Senate. So not just talking to senators, but talking to members of the house saying, this is coming your way. And honestly, we have been throughout this reaching out to the governor's office saying, Hey, by the way, this is probably coming up to you. Um, and actually the guy I was with. Uh, had just met with one member, a House member earlier uh, in the week and had said, and he said, hey, I heard this bill was coming up to you. And she said, oh, there's no way this is going to happen. Like it's it's stuck in in, in a Senate committee. There's no way it's going to get over to us. And literally it was passed out of committee, passed off the Senate floor and within three hours was passed out of the House and was sent to the governor. And that was when all of the behind the scenes stuff just broke out of the governor's office and the children's hospitals yeah. trying to offer up crazy amendments at the end, water down the trying bill. to water down the bill and the members just held strong. Um, and you know, it, it was, you know, it was one of these things again, I don't mean to make this a CCV infomercial, but wh- why did we buy this building across the street is because we were just over there, right? This, this is one of the reasons why the conservative movement in Ohio for years has just, lost these fights time and time again is that the children's hospitals lobbyists are there all the time, right? They're here in Columbus. They're down there all the time. And, you know, I, I, it, it reminds me of that New Yorker story where I think it was Senator Antonio or maybe it was Senator Thomas at the time, Democrats that said, you know, whenever I look, look around, uh, there's a CCB lobbyist there. That's right. And it's like, yeah, we're, we're just going to be here a lot. Right. That, that, that's, that's our, our, uh, and who we represent is going to be here. Exactly. That's and people are watching. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, we got it all passed and sent up to the governor, and that started the longest 10 days of our lives. <laughs> yeah, right? he, had, he had 10 business days then to make his decision whether to sign, uh, not sign, in which case it would have gone into effect, or veto it. And he chose the, the latter option to outright veto the bill. Uh, that news came down Friday, December 29th. And 
I think left a lot of people scratching their heads in some way. And, and even after his press conference, there were maybe more questions than answers with the ways that he talked about some things. So just in general, Aaron, your impressions of the veto and some things that, that stood out that, that came out of um, yeah, the, the governor's actions the and statements. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think first and foremost, what needs to be really understood is, you know, th- th- this was not, the, the governor can never say he didn't know right? because he spoke with medical experts. He spoke with parents. He spoke with um, detransitioners. He spoke with Chloe. Chloe had a, you can go find, there's a, a Fox News interview she did where she talked about his, her conversation with the governor. We had a Zoom call mm-hmm. just a few days before the decision was made. And when I was describing every step of the treatment, and especially when I brought up how young I was during every step, having been 13 when, when my puberty was suppressed, when I was put on androgens, and that I was 15 when my breasts were surgically removed. He was visibly disturbed. He knows just how horrific this is to do to children. His decision to continue this to happen to thousands of families within the state is not just a matter of pure incompetence or ignorance. It's unbelievable. And he, he will say he also visited the children's hospitals and talked with folks that think this is great and all that. Um, but the lack of discernment um, to to have spoken with these parents and these doctors and, and people like Chloe Cole, um, and to still veto this thing is, is really unreal. Um, and so disappointing. Um, um, yeah. I I mean, clearly you just listen to the language that he used. The language that he used was children's hospital language, right? If you listen to the hearings and, and, you know, children's hospital over and, while they were giving testimony, it's the same language the governor was using. He had, he absolutely did not listen to the parents of the kids who were you know struggling on the on the other side of the the coin. Um, he he did mention right to his to his benefit. He he did listen because he was talking about the lack of reporting. He was talking about the failure to properly screen for possible comorbidities. He mentioned all of that. But what he did was he attributed it all to what he called pop-up clinics, right? And every parent that we've talked to over the last four, three, four years have said 90% of them, I can only think of one parent that got their uh, their kid went to somewhere outside of Children's Hospital Center uh, system. All of them said, this is Children's Hospital. That is the problem. That is where we are getting um, the screening issues. That is where, you know, nobody's reporting. Um, The fact that he attributed all of the negatives, right? He did mention the negatives, but he attributed them to these, whoever they are, pop-up clinics. I know he's talking about Planned Parenthood and, you know, but even as much as I just, you know, I just cannot stand Planned Parenthood, they are not the core of this problem, right? In the schools, they are. But not in terms of these, the surgeries and all the, the puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones. They are coming up in the game, but it's children's hospital doing the referrals and all these other things. So Yeah, and that, I mean, that's to, just for you know background on this. So at the governor's press conference, um, he shared he was vetoing the bill, and he offered three executive actions, right, as like a compromise, right? This I think this was, in his mind, his way of trying to stem, you know, stymie off the um, the veto override effort and say, well, you know, I'm going to veto the bill, but I'm, I am going to issue these three executive orders, right? Ban surgeries on minors. Uh, we're going to require more tracking of these things. Um, and we're going to regulate, you know, the, he, he was trying to, 
flex and say, actually, I'm going to go further than this, and I'm going to regulate these pop-up clinics, these Planned Parenthoods that are not just doing this on that that are that are doing this on adults too, right? And so we're going to regulate those guys. Um, which you know the the word I used with the media afterwards was this is all hollow, right? Because as we have seen with Obama, Trump, Biden, is any executive action that's done by one executive. Uh, individual can be undone by the next Mm -hmm. and then redone by the following. Right. Um, And so everything that he's doing can be easily repealed and worse be put into place by the next governor. Right. Um, And, but also too, it's not dealing with, I I think I've said this on the pod before, but like in many ways, the hormones and and puberty blockers are worse than the surgeries. Chemical sterilization. Exactly. Because it's, it's, you know, for, for what, number one, like, Arguably, you can have your breasts removed and still be able to have kids, right? But, but two, like most families are going to be more hesitant to do the surgeries because you can see it and it's 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 very clearly more permanent, right? What the the pro one of the fundamental lies and Senator Nikki Antonio said this on the floor, and I wanted she said a lot of things on the floor that made me want to jump out of my seat when they were voting on this bill. One, she talked about how some kids have gender dysphoria at three years old, mm-hmm. which what? Yeah. Children's Hospital admitted they've accepted that's, patients at three. That's insane. But but two, she said, oh, all of these, you know, and this is one of the lies of the Children's Hospital. Oh, all of this is reversible, right? Like they they treat human bodies like, like a car, like a machine, right? Like I can just turn my air conditioning off and turn it back on when I want. It's just fine. I can just stop puberty and then turn it back on. That's not how our bodies work. They have a fertility program. At right? Nationwide Children's Hospital, and they say that one of the treatments that could cause fertility issues long term are their transgender therapies. It's 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 genuinely like what what like this the stupidest thing. And this is the, one of the problems I have with the statements the governor made is he suspended. If you if you're buying into this, you were suspending your own logic and reason because. And all you're saying, well, if the experts are saying this, I have to trust them, and I, I think that's a part of the reason why he vetoed. Um, but, but it is just, um, it, it, it just is, it was, it was insulting the way he handled this press conference was, was so insulting to the members. Right. And, and I think that's one of the things I think he underestimated was the degree of the backlash of, of the way he handled the veto override, the statements he made, um, and how, and, and, you know, I had one member tell me, you know, that the, you know, one of the things that's insulting about the way he vetoed this is to basically say, I'm, this issue needs addressed, but we don't need the General Assembly to do it. I'm just going to do it by executive action. Yeah, mm-hmm. what, what's, in, what's insulting is if you're a parent of a kid who talked to him about how his, how they were exploited, their children have been harmed by Children's Hospital. And and now he's going to stand up talking about parental rights. What about their rights? Yeah. Right? Do you want a dead son or a live daughter? You want to plan a funeral or a gender transition? And with the knowledge that you could lose your child if you don't affirm that exploitation, that blackmail, what about their rights and surgeries, right? If it's okay, so if it's true, and he obviously believes it is, that if these kids don't get this therapy, that they're going to commit suicide, right? That puberty is what's causing them to be suicidal. Their own genitals is what's, are, are what's causing them to be suicidal. 
then why would you ban surgery? Right. It makes if a it's parent not. says that I want this surgery for my <laughs> yeah. child, right? Because they will harm themselves if they don't get it. Why? Why would you ban that? It's logically inconsistent. And not ban the chemicals and the cross-sex hormones. It just doesn't make sense. So it's not about the truth of the matter. Yeah. It's about carrying water for these hospitals. Well, and and that's the. This is where the this. And again, it's it's one of these things I remember in the early debates, um, the suicide claims. And if you're new to this, it is they're the the at first it, at first blush they're the most difficult, you know, claims of the other side to overcome, right? Because it is heart wrenching. Kids killing themselves is heart wrenching. But the if you're able to slow down and truly think about the fundamentals of the claim, you 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 have to recognize that it is it's just dumb and logically inconsistent, right? Because what they are saying, what the children's hospitals claims are, right? They're, they are looking at the rise of suicides in youth over the last five years, right? We, we've, we've seen, we have seen a definitive spike, right? That, that they've gone up. And their explanation for that rise is that uh, persecution and, and marginalization leads to suicide, leads to people to wanting to kill themselves, right? Which again, you talk to people who work in suicide crisis, that's that's actually not the case, right? We, we I remember this is something Ryan T. Anderson from uh, the Ethics and Public Policy Center said a few years ago, which was, you know, we didn't see these suicide rates amongst uh, Jews in the Holocaust or African slaves. Blacks in the right? South. We, like, we, we've, we've never seen, there, there's never been, you know, Cultural marginalization and and uh, and criticism leads to suicide. That's that's never been the case, but but that's their premise here, right? Is they're saying because of cultural mar marginalization, uh, we we are seeing this rise in trans suicide amongst minors, which that in and of itself is fundamentally stupid because yes. what they are saying is that it is harder to be a trans kid today, a trans identifying kid, whatever trans identifying kid today than it was ten or fifteen years ago. That that that's that's just fundamental. Nobody knew what a preferred pronoun was ten years ago, yeah. right? What about the Scandinavian countries where they were very affirming for thirty years? Is it's the exact obvious. If you go to Children's yes. Hospital right now and there's suicide, you know where they have suicide units. It's the exact. It's the social contagion, right? That increases kids wanting to be suicidal. No, you put right. a bunch of them in a room with with kids that are suicidal, and, and then you've got half of the room that's not more and more of them will become suicidal because of social contagion. Right. The more it's received and the more the message is told. And celebrate. I mean, th this is fundamental to the trans ideology is 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 not just a, a, a deeply and offensive level of stereotypes about sex and gender, but a deep identity of victimhood and and uh, and trapped a, a sort of a trapped ideology that that every every individual that goes down this path has to have their story of somebody uh and I should say primarily everybody maybe there's a like again there's still individuals that that deal with gender dysphoria in a different form but it is my typically christian conservative republican parents reject me and this is me pushing back against them and they didn't accept my identity and like this is baked into you talk to people who deal with ministry to the, these families and everyone will tell you it, the story is 100% the same. And instead what these clinics are doing is instead of saying no let's let's deal with the reality that you're in your mental health situation Autism, they are pushing them down this path. Oh that was the other thing 
in that six-hour committee hearing, the number of people who stood up and testified oh against gosh. the bill that very clearly were autistic was, was so sad, was unbelievable. And, and this is where the governor is going to have to own at some point and be faced with the reality that his decision, these clinics are actually leading to more suicide among kids, right? He said he did this to stop suicide among kids. His decision, if it's not overridden, is going to lead to more suicide among kids. Because it, was, it wasn't until these clinics popped up and we started injecting these kids with all types of drugs and nonsense and, and broken ideology that we saw this rise in suicides. And that's why it's these clinics that are doing it, that not, not the culture at large. That's P- puberty blockers themselves are known to cause suicide ideation. Right. The, the, themselves. Um, the other thing is just for those of you who are listening, this is very simple. The prevention of suicide for trans identified youth is the same as for other youth. Right. Talk therapy and FDA approved psychiatric medication. Um, why are we going off course just for this? Well, let me ask this question after kind of unpacking what the what led the governor or what we think led the governor to reach his decision. Um, some bad ideologies involved there. Why were we willing to work with him on, on issue one clearly misaligned with CCV on house bill 68, but very much aligned with CCV on issue one. So just help us understand that dynamic. Yeah, no, I, I, honestly, I, I, in, in many ways, yeah, what David just said is, is right. Um, you know, the, the bottom line for Center for Christian Virtue, and th- this is a, a broader conversation about Christian civic, civic engagement in a, a very broad and diverse country, right? In a republic is the way we should look at that, is, you know, we, bottom line is we don't have enough Christians in America to only work with Christians and see public policy advance, right? And again, Mike Mike Dewine is a Catholic, right? And and you know, I'm I'm never if someone says they're a Christian, I'm going to let the Lord decide whether they are a Christian or not. I will take a, I will say whether their actions are in line with Scripture. And Mike Dewine's veto of this bill is very much not. Uh, but his soul, just like your soul, Mike, and your soul, David, is is that that's between you and the Lord. And I'm, I'm always going to respect uh, the claim someone makes there. And I don't, I don't actually don't think it helped is very healthy for us to come out and say that person's very clearly not safe. It's childish. Um, but so, so we have to, if we want to see public policy advance that, that reflects the truth of the gospel, that reflects the dignity of human life and religious freedom and family and all these, we have to work with people that we don't always agree with. Right. And this is where we come back to a CCV that we call balls and strikes, right? I mean, the best example of this is Mike DeWine. Whenever anybody tells us that we're a Republican hack organization or they try to criticize us like that, like, I've sued Mike DeWine. In 2019, Mike DeWine froze the Ed Choice list. And we filed a lawsuit against him and, and stood outside the courthouse and and criticized him very harshly, right? Um, and... Then, you know, after that, he came out really strongly against uh, issue one, the abortion amendment, right? And he is the governor and has, was a, did a phenomenal job. Nothing can ever take away the amount of time and money he put, and effort, I should say, into raising money and helping us do everything we could. We lost, but by all means, we wouldn't have been, it, it would have been even worse if we hadn't had uh, his support, support and, and effort in this. Yeah. Like, he really, like, 
it was, I, I can't begin to tell all the stories of, of how hard it was to do that. And he deserves praise for that, right? And then on this, he was awful and deserves all the criticism. And so for us, you know, this is the, uh, this is the epitome of calling balls and strikes, right? Of we are going to, we're going to treat everybody as an individual and we're going to focus on issues. And when yeah. you're with us on the issues, we're going to work with you. And, and this is, you know, we were talking a little bit about this in, in prayer uh, the other day, but it, it's when I, we had some pastors reach out to us and say, you know, well, I, I, I just, this is why we should never get involved in politics, right? Because here's, you know, here's a, a we, we all went in on Mike DeWine and I, I told people about how I went to the governor's residence to work with him on issue one. And then he goes and does this and this is why. And it's like, do you, you, you are literally being the, the Israelites in judges saying we want a king, right? You're like, you, what, what you're saying with that is you just want a man to get behind or a woman to get behind and just say, they're the ones that are going to figure it out. I, this way, champion. this way I can check out and I don't have to be engaged on these things. I'm just going to get behind this guy and this guy's going to do all the right stuff. Right. And no, lazy. It's not what, that's not like, we are about biblical issues, right? Biblical foundational worldview. And, and that that's a lot harder than just being able to put all of our hope in some man to come, some king to come save us, right? We, we have a king. He is Jesus. He will be returning. But we're not looking for any other person here in this time to, to be the one. And so for us, it's, yes, we're going to work with you. And, you know, again, there's a good chance even looking at, at Mike DeWine's statements going back that he was always going to veto this bill. Um, but we don't know that. And so we have to be the man in the arena doing everything we can to advance it. And because of the way we've gone about this, we're now actually in a position to override it. It's not about the politician. It's about the issue, right? It's not, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, we, if, even in this podcast, thank you, Senator Brenner. Thank you, Senator yeah. Rogner. Thank you, Rep Powell and Rep Click. Um, but on the next issue, right, we're going to hold everybody's feet to the flame, yep. right? The scripture says, give honor to whom honor is due. It's the role that we honor, right? They did what they were supposed to do in this role that week, Yep. right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I wish I could as a father, right? I wish I could just always be honored for, for the one great thing I did. But no, nah, the next day, take out the trash today too, right? Yep. And if you don't, I'm going to catch it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's the way it is. <laughs> Let me... Get us, I think, to our, our last question or end of the discussion, at least here on, on this, this question that's come up, or at least I've heard. Um, what did DeWine have to gain here <laughs> in vetoing this? Or maybe this gets to a little more of the underlying motives, and, and it's going to be speculation because we, we don't know. But you look at just the circumstances around this that by all accounts, he said that this is it for him, his, his He's in his final term as governor. Does not seem like he's going to seek another office. So, what did he have to lose? Let me here? set this question up. You, okay, you go for it. Right, this, this looks—he's got that look in his eye. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I mean for the people to understand, he is a forty-year political veteran. Okay, so um, not a whole lot taking him by surprise here. He knows the game better than any probably anybody that's listening to this, to this podcast. One, the polling nationally and statewide. Pew, Ipsos, Gallup, Baldwin, Wallace, all of them show 60 to 70 percent support for both of these bills. Right. And that's been increasing over the last seven years Two, 23 other states have adopted, say, women's sports, 22 adopted, save 
the SAFE Act. Three, super majorities in both the House and the Senate, twice in the House. Okay, and the GOP chair called for an override himself. So everybody was on board with this bill. With that said, why did he veto? Yeah, and so what? What I where I'm going to leave this is with with what he said. I think you can take the words that he said um, and fill in enough blanks um, to to really get to the heart of it, right? Um, I think, and and I think we saw this uh, with his handling of COVID, um, and I think we we see this we saw this here, right? He is he is of a generation uh, of leader that kind of like what, like we were talking about earlier that you can trust the experts and trust the institutions. And he said this he he he's had a twenty five year relationship with the children's hospitals, right? Now again. A relationship in politics is both working together on issues, but also political support, mm-hmm. right? Let's 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 not be naive here, right? And th- and this that's not even I don't even necessarily mean that like taking political donations isn't you know a sign of corruption because literally every politician raises money, right? I we we raise money at CCB, right? Like just just by the nature of taking political donations from someone doesn't necessarily make you corrupt. But you also have to be be naive to think that getting support from a certain group of people for a long time doesn't, to some degree, help build a, a, a leverage of trust. And I use those words very specifically. Um, and so, so by all means, the, the children's hospitals, which they've done a lot of work together and they've they've launched a lot of programs together and all that kind of stuff, uh, have a larger than normal voice with the governor. And and honestly, you, you talk to the people who who talk to the governor, like I, I know members that spoke with, with him uh, and they've said this on, on the air. We, we're like, one of the questions he asked them was, why should I not trust the children's hospitals on this, right? These are the, these are the issue experts, right? Why? And that's, I think that's a legitimate question, right? I, I, I don't sure. want to act like that's, that's not. Sure. Um, but the bottom line was the, my view of it is both the bullying and intimidation and the long relationship of the with the children's hospitals and this broken view again the, the word that just jumped out to me that he said he said reasonable people can disagree right that is if you were to try to define the governor's sort of national political personality over these 40 years is he is a reasonable guy Right. And the problem is, or he wants to be a reasonable guy, I should say, is he is trying to be that reasonable guy in an unreasonable time. Mm-hmm. Right. And the, like not being able to have the courage and ability to step back and recognize this is not another one of those issues that like, you know, we're big supporters of backpack on school choice. There's a reasonable disagreement about what's the best way we should have our education system in Ohio, right? And you look at the, the world Governor DeWine came up in, there's a lot of issues that reasonable people on all, this is not one of those. And the, him trying to put this issue in that box and then recognizing that all of his friends that he's had over the last 25 years are wanting him to veto it, that gave him enough excuse to be able to veto this thing, right? And you know, I, I, I do give, you know, like to some degree, does he really think that kids are going to kill themselves if he signed this bill? 
sure, maybe he really believed that. But why did he believe that? It's because of the political pressure and the relationship with these corrupt children's hospitals. Right. So, so sure. Like I, I think in his mind, he was doing to some degree what he thought was going to protect kids, but it's so nonsensical to be in that position that he deserves criticism. E- even if that's why I keep saying, even if his motives were right, which to some degree, I think he thinks they are, uh, he deserves all the criticism for being duped on such an obviously evil issue. Well, and, and real quick, before we wrap up here, just next steps, what, what are we looking at as far as possible override and, and what does it take in those kinds of things? I mean, the baseline is, uh, what, uh, the 10th, um, for the, house. the house is planning to come back to override the veto. And right now where we sit, it, it looks like it's going to happen. Uh, and then we feel really confident in the Senate, uh, 24th. that, that the, the Senate's going to come back and that's when their next scheduled session date is, is on the 24th in the Senate that they'll override the veto. Um, and credit to Speaker Stevens for getting people together, credit to Gary Click and all the members that are pushing on this, uh, credit to President Matt Huffman and, and, and those folks for being so strong on it. Um, but if there's anything, my, you know, the 15 years I've spent doing this kind of stuff has, has taught me in the seven years in Ohio uh, doing this is none of this can be taken for granted. So we you got if if you haven't sent a message to your lawmaker yet if you know your lawmaker and can call them and encourage them even if you think they're solid call them right because i will tell you the children's hospital and now the governor's office cuz the governor doesn't like to have his vetoes overridden overridden um the the pressure is going to be huge and so we're not taking anything for granted uh and we don't think you should either ccv.org/safeact yep that's where you can takes about 60 seconds to send that message and our system will do the rest. And also just want to encourage people to, to be praying on those two dates yeah. specifically on January 10th and January 24th, that, that, that override happens and follow us on socials, get on our mail list. If you're not and stay tuned to the narrative, because by that point we'll be back into our regular, regular volume and, and we'll give you all the updates as, as we have them. And we thank you all for, for joining us for this special emergency podcast today. So we could discuss the, the governor's veto of HB 68. And we look forward to catching up with you throughout the next volume of the narrative. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the narrative presented by CCV and produced by Wessler media. If you found today's episode insightful, leave us a review or rating and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. We're your hosts, Mike Andrews, Aaron Bear, and David Mahan, and we'll see you next time on The Narrative.